Well, once again, we're glad you're here today, and thank you for your patience in bearing with us as we do the best we can under the limited circumstances allowed by the amount of power we're able to get into our building. Would you open your Bible, please, to John chapter 10, as we think together regarding the majesty of Jesus Christ as our shepherd. We'll read the words of our Lord in the first half of the chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. As I thought about this passage of Scripture, I thought it was remarkable in one sense that Jesus compares himself here to a shepherd. We tend to romanticize the life of a shepherd, perhaps because of the Sunday school stories that all of us are familiar with concerning David the shepherd boy with his sling, and the giant that he brought down. But despite the honorable people who are mentioned in the Bible as shepherds, and those would include Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the prophet Amos, despite them, in Jesus' day, the occupation of a shepherd was considered a lowly one. It was the bottom rung of the ladders of, ladder of vocations, we might say. 
Shepherds were known as tough and rugged men. They were typically not very clean, nor were they at all refined. And so I say that in one sense, it's surprising that Jesus would identify himself as a shepherd. But on the other hand, it's not surprising at all, because Jesus always went out of his way to identify with the outcasts of society. Why did he do that? Well, perhaps it was because often those who are the outcasts of society are more sensitive to their spiritual needs and seek hope beyond the world that they're living in. As you look at those who are receiving the gospel in the context of the whole world, you find what has always been true, that those who are the poorest are those who are more, most receptive to the Savior. They have less that they have hope in in this world, less that they can depend upon. And so they are more open to the Savior. Jesus elevated and dignified the role of a shepherd by identifying himself as the good shepherd. And as you may know, the New Testament builds upon this concept, calling him the chief shepherd, as we read in 1 Peter 5 together, and also the great shepherd, as the writer of Hebrews calls him. The majesty of Jesus Christ is to be found in this role as the shepherd of the soul. It was Isaiah who declared that we are all like sheep who have gone astray. He says, each one of us has turned to his own way. Jesus himself, observing the multitudes that were seeking him, compared them to distressed and downcast sheep who were lacking a shepherd. And the Apostle Peter reflected that you and I were like sheep, continually going astray, but we have now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. The most important need of every human is to realize that truth. That is, one's own true lostness, one's helplessness as though a sheep, our inability to help ourselves, to save ourselves, to come into a right relationship with God by our own efforts. That is the most important need we have to realize that. Because that will bring us to see that we need the good shepherd. Jesus is like the shepherd in the parable that he told of the one shepherd who had a hundred sheep, but who, finding that he had lost one, went back out into the night there to search for the one that was lost. Jesus came into the world to seek lost ones. To seek and to save that which is lost is the way that he put it. As we think about his majesty as the shepherd of our souls, I'd like for us to think of three aspects of it. These arise out of our text in John chapter 10. The first is the wonder of his majesty as our shepherd. The wonder of it. The wonder might be capsulated in this word, that he truly loves his sheep. That stands in contrast to the thief and the robber that Jesus mentions in our text. 
Thieves and robbers come only to exploit. Their only desire is to achieve their own ends. That's all they're interested in. They care not for those that they rob. They come to kill, to steal, to destroy, says Jesus in verse 10. But the good shepherd is not like that. Nor is the good shepherd like the hireling that Jesus speaks about. The hireling has no sense of responsibility or ownership for that matter. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus talks about the hired man as being one who runs when he sees the pack of wild dogs approaching. His response says, hey, I'm hired to feed the sheep. I'm not hired to fend off the dogs. And he runs. He sees himself as but rented out to care for these sheep. It reminds me that it's important how we view the jobs that we have. Hopefully none of us are like thieves and robbers who are only interested in exploiting the company that we work for or the person that we are employed by so that we can achieve our own selfish ends. Hopefully we would never be like that. And hopefully, too, we would be more than mere hirelings. People who are hired to do the basic, minimal job, and that's it. But we see ourselves there to be a good testimony. That we see ourselves there to get the job done that we've been hired to do, and then more. That whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord, and not just our employer or the boss. Well, Jesus says that uh, he loves his sheep. Unlike the thieves, the robbers, the hirelings, as the good shepherd, he loves his sheep. May I say that if you serve Jesus Christ as a shepherd of other people, beware of falling into the trap of exploitation of them. Or doing only the basics that you have to do to get by. But those of us who are the teachers of Sunday school classes or the ministry pastors of small churches or the leaders of discipleship groups or elders or pastors, we who have some responsibility of shepherding, let's see ourselves as Jesus saw himself as a good shepherd who loves his sheep. That he loved his sheep was made clear by what he did on our behalf. He says, I came that they might have life. He is the shepherd of love. He came to seek our good and our benefit. That's what real love does. Love does not seek its own selfish fulfillment. Jesus didn't say, I came that I might gain something. But he says in verse 10, I came that they might have life. That's the way real love is. I'd like to stop there for just a moment and pull out that thought to apply to relationships that we can sometimes get into. Romantic relationships, for example. Young ladies sometimes hear young men say, Look, if you loved me, you would do this because I have this need to be fulfilled. 
When there is that kind of statement, you can mark it down immediately that that is not love. That is lust. Because you see, love does not seek its own fulfillment. It seeks the benefit and the good of the other party. Some of you men may work in offices where you have ladies, perhaps co-workers, who come to you and begin to pour out their story of woe about the way things are at home. And you sense that there is a bit of a snare being thrown out there to see if you might step into it. And indeed you know that you could exploit that if you desired to because here is a vulnerable and hurting person. Love does not seek its own fulfillment. Love does what is truly best for the other. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I love my sheep. I came that they might have life. Love does not consider the cost that must be paid, but the value of the one who is loved. That's how Jesus looked at us. He did not shirk the cross, though that was the price of his love. But he looked at us and considered us valuable. So that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The songwriter has captured it with the words, The wonder of it all, oh the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. You see, we were not sheep that were obedient, content, and peaceful. But we were lost sheep. Hostile, wild, and rebellious sheep. Undeserving of that love. Nonetheless, the good shepherd came. Oh, the wonder that he should love us enough to do that. Well, that brings us to the second aspect of the majesty of him as shepherd. It is his will as the shepherd. It's what he chose to do on our behalf. His willingness to sacrifice on our behalf. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He willfully took two actions. These were not forced upon him. He was not coerced by man or by God, his father. But he willingly of his own initiative took two actions on our behalf by his own will. First of all, he laid down his life. At least three times in our text we see him saying that. I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, that's what was necessary. That his sheep might be delivered from a certain enemy that would destroy them. The enemy of sin and death. Make no mistake about it, his sheep were in eternal danger. And because of the great love that filled his heart, he willfully took the action of laying down his life on behalf of the sheep. A hireling will never do that. We cannot even speak of a thief or a robber. But here is a good shepherd. A shepherd who is so committed to his sheep that he is willing to die so that they might escape. And that's exactly what Jesus did. What majesty in this shepherd. 
this good shepherd who laid down his life. But there's a second action that he took. He says that he he will take it up again, verse 18. I lay it down, I have authority to do that, and I have authority to take it up again. Talking about his resurrection from the dead. He did what was essential that we might be delivered. For he had to die, but he also had to be alive to save us. And so he did both. He laid down his life to pay the price that we might be delivered from our sins, condemnation, and death. And then he raised himself from the dead by his own authority. And in raising himself from the dead, he now lives forever to save those that come to God by him. So here is a shepherd who was willing to lay himself down, not merely in principle, but in point of action, to lay himself down on behalf of the sheep and to be raised again on their behalf from the dead. Well, we've looked at the wonder of this shepherd and the will of the shepherd. Let's close by looking at the work of the shepherd. It's threefold as Jesus explains it to us in the larger context. Moving ahead to the latter part of the chapter, verses 27 and following. The work of the shepherd. I did not read these verses because we covered them in some detail a few weeks ago on a Sunday evening. But let's recapture some of the thoughts. The work of the shepherd in the first place, he describes as calling out his sheep. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He calls out his sheep. Jesus is drawing upon a very common picture from that day. When shepherds would bring their various flocks together for their overnight uh, keeping, They would come together to a cave or perhaps to a sheepfold, either a permanent one or a temporary one made of bushes out in the fields. They would allow their flocks to mingle for the evening and they would rest that night. And then in the morning they had to separate the sheep again. And so one by one the shepherds would come to the gate of the fold. And there each one would yell with a particular call that the sheep would recognize. It would be distinct of that shepherd. They would recognize not only the call itself, but the tone of the voice of their shepherd. And the shepherd's sheep would get up and come out from the other sheep to where he was at the gate. And he would put them out. He would even call many of them by name. Whatever the names may have been. Whitey, Come on, Blackie. Let's go, Spotted. Come on, Aloysius. Whatever he called them. And as they came, recognizing his voice, they would follow him. Now Jesus applies that to himself. Who are these that he calls my sheep? Well, as we look at the fuller context, they are those who are given to him by the Father. They are those sheep that the Father has chosen to give to the Son. Those are Jesus' sheep. And he says, My sheep have an ear for my voice. They know me. 
And I know them, and they follow me. You see, the proof that they are his sheep is the fact that they follow. The proof that one is a genuine Christian is not found in the fact that he can look back to a time when a prayer was prayed or he went forward in an invitation, although I'm not knocking that. But the real proof that one is a genuine Christian is found in the fact that he follows the shepherd. That there's a pattern of continuance in his life. That's the real proof. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. His work is to call out his sheep. Secondly, it is to keep the sheep. Verses 28 and 29. I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We have here the protection that the shepherd gives for his sheep. This was a primary responsibility for a shepherd. And to that end, he had some equipment with him. He carried in the first place the shepherd's rod, a stick of some kind of hard wood that was about yea long, about the same size as the policeman's nightstick. And often on the end of it, there would be nails that had been driven through so that there was a sharp head to it. It was a club that could be used to strike a wolf or some other predator, Or actually it could be thrown some distance with accuracy by a good shepherd to protect his flock. He also had a staff with him. That's the traditional staff we think of, a long piece of uh, cane perhaps that had a crook in it. And with that he was able to guide the sheep, he was able to snatch them from danger. It was part of his equipment. And then a shepherd often carried with him a sling with which he became quite skilled. David, of course, carried a sling. And he had with him a little bag, a scrip, which was on his side, a bag in which shepherds often carried dried fruit or cheese or bread or perhaps olives, which they ate. It was their lunch bag. In David's case, he put five smooth stones in there before he went out to meet Goliath. And he picked up his slingshot and went out there and powerfully slung it, and God directed that stone right to the most vulnerable spot on the giant he fell dead. Well, shepherds were able to use stones with wolves and wild dogs and bears and uh, panthers and other kinds of animals that were the natural predators. They were able to use them with thieves as well. A stone well slung could kill a person. So these were powerful weapons. Now Jesus draws upon that whole picture and he says, I give life to them, my kind of life, eternal life, and they shall never by any means perish, and no one is able to snatch them away from me. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand either. He is talking about the security of the believer. That one who is a sheep of this good shepherd is eternally kept saved and kept safe from all of his enemies. So the work of the shepherd is that he calls his sheep and keeps his sheep and finally that he consolidates his sheep. Going back to verse 16. 
Jesus says <clears throat> prophetically, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice. Our Lord was undoubtedly speaking of sheep that were his from among the Gentiles. He came, of course, to his people, the Jews, and his primary ministry was to them. But later his apostles would go to the Gentiles as well. Jesus is saying there are other sheep that will someday hear my voice that are not a part of this fold, and I will consolidate them. He says there will be one flock and one shepherd. That, of course, became spiritually true on the day of Pentecost when there was a oneness that was created by the coming of the Spirit of God. And then eventually Gentiles were added to that. Cornelius and his household. And then others under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul, in fact, elaborates on this whole idea in Ephesians 2. And he says, no more is there a difference between Jew and Gentile. There's not any more two different folds. It's just one flock now that God's calling together. And today God is still in the work of calling out people from Jew and Gentile alike to be a part of this one flock under the one good shepherd. There is an important application to this. And it is that among those of us who genuinely know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no place for factionalism, for a party spirit that creates divisiveness. It may be that there are some who do not worship exactly as we do, or who have different traditions. But if they know and love our Lord Jesus Christ and are a part of God's flock, then let's not create divisions with them. Let's not declare them the enemy. But let's understand that we are a part of the same flock under the one shepherd. Neither is there any place among God's people for any sense of racism. For if a man or woman of a different color or who speaks a different language knows the Lord Jesus Christ as I know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are one in spirit. One flock and one shepherd. And one day we are told the chief shepherd is going to appear in glory and at that time he is going to unite the flock, that part in heaven and that part which is on the earth, together forever. And never will there be again any kind of separation among the Lord's sheep. The shepherd, I think, is a meaningful picture of Jesus Christ. And it suggests to us the loving, tender care that he provides for those who belong to him. What majesty is his that he should do so? David, his grandfather, according to the flesh, penned that psalm that all of us love, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. It is a perfect psalm. Someone has written this based upon that thought. The Lord is my shepherd. That's perfect salvation. I shall not want perfect satisfaction. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Perfect rest. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Perfect refreshment. He restoreth my soul. 
perfect restoration. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, perfect guidance. I will fear no evil, that's perfect protection. Thou art with me, perfect company. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me, that's perfect comfort. Thou preparest a table before me, perfect provision. Thou anointest my head with oil, perfect consecration. My cup runneth over, perfect joy. Goodness and mercy shall follow me, perfect care. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a perfect destiny. How wonderfully that psalm pictures the care of our good shepherd. Life cannot be more full and more rich than when one walks with the shepherd. But I cannot close the service without bringing to our attention one underlying thought that I have not brought out of this text. It is found, for example, in verse 9 where Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. It's found again in verse 28 where he says, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. Now Jesus is primarily talking about the way that he cares for his sheep, but there's an underlying thought. The question arises, what about those sheep that don't belong to him? The answer is, by implication, they will not be saved. They will perish if they don't come to him in faith. And so if there be someone here today who has not trusted in Jesus Christ, and you can't honestly say that the Lord is my shepherd, if you've never placed your faith in him who came and laid down his life and took it up again, that you might have fullness of life. Oh, that you might do that today. You say, but how can I know I'm one of his sheep? You said that the Father gives his sheep to him. How can I know if I'm one given to him by the Father? The answer is very simple to that. You can know that you're one of those sheep just by trusting him. For if you trust him, that's evidence that you're one of his sheep. Will you today? You see, the choice is thrown to you. Whether or not you will choose to place your faith in the shepherd. When he says they will perish, he is talking about being lost forever. And separated from God in the frightening reality of hell I got one of those phone calls this week that you don't like to get. And it was relating the news to me that an aunt of mine had died after a lengthy illness. I can remember on at least a couple of occasions, once before I was married and once after I was married, sitting with her and her husband, who was alive at that time, explaining to her what it meant to be a Christian. You see, she was raised in a religion of works. She didn't follow it in her life, but as a little girl, she was raised in this religion with its rituals and then just kind of went her own way in her life. 
She wasn't a bad person. She certainly wasn't perfect, and she would admit that. But as far as I know, my Aunt Marie never came to the point of trusting in the Good Shepherd. My friend, don't follow her, assuming that that was her case. But listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd, who promises you that if you will come to him, he will give you eternal life, and you will never perish. That's his promise. And the Good Shepherd makes his promises good. Let's pray. I hope you might do that today, dear friend. That if you have no hope of sins forgiven, of eternal life, that you would trust in this Savior, this Shepherd, who loves you. Right where you're seated, you can do that. You can open your heart and say to him, Lord Jesus, I understand that you're the shepherd who died for me and rose again. And I recognize my own inability to save myself. You save me. You come into my heart, my life, and save me now. And dear friend, as you depend upon him alone, he will do that. Let's all sing together this chorus that we know. I I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Dear Christian friend, are you following the shepherd today? Are those paths of righteousness in which he would lead you the ones that you're following? Or have you strayed from him? Peter tells us that we need to return to the shepherd of our souls. And that may be your need today as a Christian. The shepherd is seeking you to come back. Will you do that? The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Would you stand together with me, please? And if today you have a need to talk with someone about your relationship to God, I'll be here in the front shaking hands afterward. There will be others around. Please seek us out and let us know that you have a personal need you'd like some help. We'll be glad to spend some time with you. And now our great shepherd of the sheep, we bless you for the blood of the everlasting covenant. Work in us today and this week to equip us 
to do that which is well-pleasing in your sight. And may we follow you, recognizing our dependence upon you as, as finite creatures. May we rejoice and draw upon you our great, our chief, and our good shepherd. Amen. <laughs>